All right. Well, hey, good morning. I am Mark, executive pastor here, and I want to welcome you to the Grove, but then also to this final study, uh, final week of our series on 2 Timothy. And um, if you've been around, I mean, it's been really powerful for me personally. If you haven't gotten to listen to all of them, I would really encourage you to go back and, and read through those different chapters and, uh, and listen to the messages on, on YouTube or Facebook or whatever. Um, just been really powerful. And kind of to, to set the stage, if you haven't been around with us, Paul is, is writing this letter to his, his son in the faith, Timothy, his, uh, his protege, whatever. He has, he's at the, this moment in his life, man, where he sees that his days are numbered and all that he's lived for and all that he's been about and this, and this proclamation of this good news uh, as he's called people in at this in- incredible kingdom. And he's passed it to Timothy and he's encouraging Timothy now to take that to the next generation, to be faithful with it. You know, we talked about one week, uh, almost like a, uh, a relay race where the baton is, is passing to Timothy. And man, with the trembling hands, Paul is saying, man, take it, take it, take it and run. Take it and run. Keep focused. Don't get distracted. He talks about how others have fallen away, how others have gotten distracted, how others have given up, how others haven't competed according to the rules. He's saying, he's saying, Timothy, you take it and you be faithful with it and run. And he uses several things that, you know, it feels a lot like, you know, being a dad and, and trying to help my, my kids grow or get encouraged towards something. Also having coached a little bit and having been coached. You know, there's a lot of different things that you use to motivate in the pregame speech, you know. Uh, it feels like Paul has just about hit on every one of those. If you go back to the beginning of the book, I mean, he starts at the beginning saying, man, this is a legacy that was passed to you. I mean, your mama. Your mama believed this. Your grandma was a, was a woman of faith. You had two studettes in your background, and it was passed to you. And he's like, man, that, that was the first. Like, man, Timothy, man, take this thing and move forward. He also says that the spirit of God that's within you. He says, man, that the spirit of God, he, he, it's not a spirit of fear. So this, this fear and trepidation and all of that, like that's, that's not of God. The spirit that's in you. It's not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. That's the spirit that's in you. So the people before you, the spirit of God that's in you. And then Paul talks a lot about his, his example, that, that Timothy has gotten a, a front row seat to watch Paul's life and to see that Paul has lived this thing out. And I always think about that. I mean, what would it be like to, to have hung out with Paul a little bit, you know? Uh, he even mentions in chapter 3, uh, just kind of in, you know, he makes a lot of different statements about different things and wasn't a big part of chapter three. But to me, a few years ago, when I was studying Second Timothy, it stuck out to me that he called out, hey, Timothy, you remember uh, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. So I got curious and I went and looked up. All right. So what happened in uh, Antioch, Iconium and Lystra? It's in Acts chapter 13 and 14. Basically, in short, uh, Paul is being faithful with what he's been given and he gets rocks thrown at him. A lot of rocks thrown at him. Rocks thrown at him to the point that uh, they leave him for dead outside the city. And Paul gets up and goes back in the city again. <laughs> I mean, that's who this Paul was. This is who Timothy got to see. Uh, makes me think what it would be like to hang out with Paul. Like what, what cuts and, and bruises and scars would he have from taking those rocks upside the face for the sake of, of this Jesus? Um, 
You know, my boys, I've told you before, my boys a few years ago started wrestling and I didn't know much about it. I didn't grow up around wrestling. And so I, I've been educated at the same time that they were getting educated in it. And one of the things I noticed is these coaches would come in and some of these older guys, sometimes they would walk in and their ears would just be mangled. And I, first guy I saw, I thought that was kind of almost like somebody just held a, a lighter to their ear, but it would be both ears, sometimes one worse than the other. And the first time I thought, oh, that's something happened with that guy. All right. You know, but it was obvious something had gone on with his ears. And then the next time, <laughs> and it seemed like the ones that were, you know, the best, the, the most veteran, they had the worst ears. And I thought, well, what's going on here? Well, then I found out. Anybody know about this? It's called cauliflower ear. And if you wrestle, because your ears rub against that mat so much, they blister up, and and they do. They look like they they were burned almost, and it's called cauliflower ear. And then it became like this statement of, oh, man. There's this one friend we have that wrestled at Iowa State, and and his ears are like that. And the first time I realized, I put together that that's why his ears were like that, I was just like, man. I almost wanted to go rub on my ears and see if I could just, man, I, this guy must be really good. Like, he spent a lot of time on the mat if his ears looked like that. Think what it would be like to hang out with Paul and to see his scars. So he, he says, your mama and your grandma, the spirit of God that's in you, you've had my example. But then in chapter four, now he says, man, in Timothy, there's a day coming. This Jesus is, is returning. And there's a future date. And what you do in these days matters in light of that day. And maybe of all these motivating factors, you know how a coach will, from one player to the next, one athlete to the next, he might know different buttons to push to motivate. I don't know which one really motivates you, but I think, I think this one is the one that really motivates me to think about that there is a, a date coming. There is, there is something out ahead. There's a North Star that I'm, that I'm moving towards. And what I do today matters for, for that day. I, uh, just after my freshman year in college playing football, my, my football coach had just took the job, 73 years old. And he said, fellas, it's easy. When we went home for the summer, it's easy. You guys go and work really hard this summer. Here's the workout schedule. Here's the things you're supposed to do. I expect you to show up in shape. Now, now fellas, the way we're going to test that, when you get back, everybody's going to run the quarter mile. He said, because I'm convinced that the quarter mile is the toughest race that a, that a person could possibly run because you are all out full speed for a whole quarter. You might be able to go full speed for, for 100 and fake it or 200 and fake it. But about that 300, anybody ever run the quarter mile? You know what I'm talking about. About that 300, it starts to hit. And that last 100, 100 yards, I mean, if you are not in shape, you, you'll just pass out. It's just, it's just pretty much, you know. So then he gave everybody, all right, so O-linemen, you know, here's your, not everybody had the same time, but depending on your, your size and shape, you know, you, you had different times. And so linebackers got their time. Well, I took that and I saw it, man. All right, so that means, you know, I got these months. We're going to show up in August. That's the date. I got to hit that time. And that summer, I mean, it felt kind of funny. Like I was training for football, but really I was just running quarters. In fact, one day, worst decision of my life, my dad takes me to uh, the place in our hometown where we used to, the quarter mile where we would race cars. I don't know if you've got that place in your hometown, but we had that place. Everybody knew it was just a straight stretch, quarter mile, had enough room where you could get, you know, you could get going and not run off the road at the end. A little sharp curve, but it was all right. Nobody ever got hurt. But, uh, but I decided, well, there's a quarter. I think the track, you know, we had that old dirt track and it was muddy. And so we went out there and he dropped me off 
and went down to the other end and then, you know, honked the horn and said, go, and had, had, he timed me. And I'm telling you, you think it's hard running a quarter around a circle. You try to just run it on concrete just straight. And I'd run and run and run, and I'd look up like, man, i got to almost be there. And I'd look up, and it still looked like he was just as far as when I'd started. I remember it hurting so bad. But when I showed up in August and we got on that track, I was confident. It was almost this feeling like, you know, today, the day of reckoning is also the day of reward. Because I'm going to step on the track, and I know some of these guys didn't do the work over the summer, but I know I did. And it's going to be shown for what it is. And it did. I mean, I hit my time and laughed at it and walked off. A lot of those guys were passing out and throwing up. And then what coach made them do is after two-a-day practice, they had to do extra work after that because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Something about laying that time out there, that, that thing out there motivates me. Um, our church staff, just so you'll know, we've been working on this lately. We've been working on our each individual ministry, our, our three-year vision. Three years from today, man, what are we asking God? What do we believe God wants to be true <clears throat> three, three years from today? And then backing up. So what's the question now? What needs to be true today? to make sure that when that day is here, that thing that God wants to be true is true. What needs to be true about what we're doing today? Uh, another, another example, uh, Tuesday, Terry and I had our 25th wedding anniversary. 20, 25 years. Um, it was a Tuesday, so, you know, I mean, how much can you do on a Tuesday? She teaches school, I was working. I mean, there's only so much you can, you can do on a Tuesday. Uh, but here in a few weeks, we are going to get to go to a beach. And I know that's coming, but here's the problem. I am a pasty white ball guy. And we're going to be at a beach, and there's going to be a bunch of tan people there. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's, I, what, what needs to be true? I got I to gotta find some time to get in the sunshine, or I'm going to look like a fool. We actually spent the summer at a beach one year, uh, way back when, and uh, I was on the beach all the time. And then by the end of the summer, this kid's walking by me, and he starts laughing and says, Mommy, Mommy, look at the orange guy. Because I burnt, and then I just burnt over the top of the burn, and then I burnt a little bit more of the top of the burn, and it turned me just orange. So a tan is not really what I'm going for, but I at least can't just be white, you know? That day, there's going to be a D-Day. There's a day coming, and I need to do things now to be ready for that. So, so Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, there's a day, and we'll start out in uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, I, I charge you. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. All right, y'all, there's a lot going on here. Again, he, he charges him, he compels him, but he says, realize, Timothy, this, this thing that I'm charging you to, it's in the presence of God. It's not just, it's not just Paul talking. In the presence of God and of Jesus, who is the judge, who is the one in that day. He, he is the one. And at the end, it says his kingdom, the king and the judge. God is, is a part of this appeal that I'm making to you. And he says, by his appearing, his appearing, the day of his return. And it makes me think about, I mean, is that, is that day welcomed or feared for you, for me? Do we look, look at that day with anticipation or with fear and trepidation, his appearing? Is it something we, we, we look forward to? 
He's going to bring this word up again later on. And it seems like a really critical thing that he's saying, man, are, are you excited? Are, are you living this life, this thing that's being passed to you? Are you, are you living it in such a way that you're excited about his appearing? Back, I was probably uh, junior high. My brother was in college at UCA. And uh, my parents and I, we went up there for some, some event. I don't remember what the event was, but we're walking into the hotel and there is a Porsche out in the parking lot. And I'm not talking about like some old janky Porsche. I'm talking about like a brand new shiny one. And the, the license plate said Pippin on it. Now, y'all, I'm not a smart guy. But Scotty Pippin, you know, Michael Jordan's right-hand man during that day. I mean, this is when he was playing. Uh, I mean, he's from Arkansas. And here's a Porsche in Conway that has his name on the license plate. So I said, man, Scotty Pippin's got to be staying here. So as soon as we walk in, I go up to the front desk and I ask the lady, hey, is that, is that Scotty Pippen's Porsche out there? She said, it is Scotty Pippen's Porsche. And I said, well, what room number is he in? <laughs> and she probably broke every rule that you're not supposed to break, but she said, well, I'm not supposed to tell anybody, but uh, she gave me his room number. And she said, now he got in real late last night and he's probably dead asleep. And I said, it's okay, I'm not gonna lock on the door or anything. I just, I'm gonna write him a little note and ask him to sign it, you know? So I wrote him a little note, man, Scotty, I'm your biggest fan, blah, 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 blah. Would you please sign this? And just leave it at the front desk. And so then I go up to his room and I slide it under the door. But then my parents and my brother are getting ready to go to this, this deal. And I, I realize at some point, Scotty Pippen is gonna take my note and he's gonna walk down to the front net desk and give it, give it to the lady there. And I could potentially be in the lobby when he does that and face-to-face meet Scottie Pippen. Forget whatever my family's doing. I, I want to be there at that moment. So I did. I went and sat in the lobby. And I don't remember. I remember it was a long time. I remember, you know, I didn't have a phone or any of these, anything to entertain. I was just sitting there, just sitting there twiddling my thumb, just waiting for Scottie Pippen to walk in the door. And sure enough, man, he did. And he walked up to the front desk and uh, you could tell he was handing the lady the note and she kind of leaned over and pointed over to me and said, hey, that's the kid. And so he walked over and, did you leave this note under my door? Yeah, yes, sir, I did. Man, here's, here's, here's my signature. He small talked with me for a second, shook my hand. I remember his finger, I mean, his hand was that big. It wrapped around my hand four times. And I was just looking up at him like, that's Scotty Pippen right there. It sure is. Man, I I was sitting in that lobby, and I didn't care if it was all night, all day. I was excited about the appearing of this basketball player. Man, do we look to this? Paul says, I charge you by his appearing that this Jesus, your Savior, is is returning. Are Are you excited about that day? And then he goes on, and I'm gonna I'm gonna skip a few verses and then come back up in in verse six. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure, talking about Paul, talking about himself, has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. All right, so let's look at this. He says, I am already, talking about himself, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. My my days are, are numbered, my time's coming to an end. And he says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering, 
which we're not really used to that. I mean, the first thing I think of, it's one of my favorite stories in Scripture, Second Timothy, I mean, Second uh, Samuel, story about David and his, his mighty men. It's going through all these stories of these mighty men and all of the crazy, cool things that they did and how tough they were. And it uh, says at one point, David's sitting there and he's like, you know, the, the Philistines have taken over Bethlehem. And David just kind of makes a side statement. You know what? Some of that water... Some of that water out of the well in Bethlehem sure would be kind of nice right now. And so it says that these mighty men hear him, and they go and sneak into the well and put their lives in danger and across enemy lines to go get him a cup of water and bring it back to him. <laughs> Is that not cool? I just think that's amazing. So anyway, they, they bring it back to him. But you know what he does? They hand him the water. And it says that when David gets it, he's like, man, there's no way I can drink this. You put your lives on the line for this. And he just pours it out. <laughs> and I remember the first time I was like, no, no, don't pour out the water. <laughs> drink the water. But what does he say? And it's this beautiful picture. He's like, man, this water is too sacred for me to drink it. What you have done is so incredible. I'm just, Paul says, man, I am being poured out like a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. And then he says, I have fought the good fight. Y'all, there's a lot of fights that we get involved in that aren't good fights. There's a, a lot of things uh, that we get all riled up about that, that aren't worth it. But there is a fight that's a good fight that's worth living for, that's worth dying for, that's worth that's worth fighting for. Uh, it, it, this really stuck out to me, just asking myself the question, am I, am I fighting the, the good fight, the fight that Paul is calling Timothy to, to fight for, the thing I get riled up about, the thing I flip tables about, the thing I get excited to fight for, is it, is it the good fight? He says he has fought the good fight. He says he has finished the race. You know, he talked earlier about not being one of those guys who, who, you know, gets fearful and runs away or doesn't compete according to the rules or doesn't endure to the end. And Paul is able to say at this point, man, I have finished the race. Now, that's a huge statement of his perseverance. And isn't it true that so many, I mean, he's already experienced it. He said, all the people in Asia have departed from me. They've all fallen to the side. I mean, there's very, very, very few finishers. Uh, Roger Harris have been talk and I have been talking about this, that, you know, guys, they, they get older, and before you know it, they're just starting to they not really care anymore. They don't, they don't finish. They may have begun well, but they don't, they don't finish strong. Been thinking about this with, uh, with our marriage and our, our anniversary, you know, how few marriages that, I, that started when we did or that we've seen start, that finish strong. That, that our prayer is that we finish stronger than we, than we started. I mean, I'll just say this, this publicly, man. I, I, I love my wife. Amen. I love her. I love her. I love her more today than I did back then, and it seems like it's growing exponentially. I, I, I love her. And in marriage sometimes... It, it, it feels like, man, you are on a battlefield and there is a war because I'm looking at, at folks around us and folks that we've known and there's the landmine that went off over there and a bomb dropped over here and, and bullets are whizzing by our head. And the only way that we're going to persevere is we're going to have to hold on to each other really tight. 
And I'm going to have to care for her good above my own. And she's going to have to care for my good above her own. And there's going to have to be this. And we've got a vision, that North Star of that day. You know what the day is for us that we call out? Man, when I got grandkids, I want my grandkids to blush when they're around grandma and grandpa. I guess you could describe it a lot of different ways. But that's kind of, that's kind of our description, man. I hope the grandkids are like, grandma and grandpa. You know, when you see that couple at the restaurant, not the old couple who they're looking, you know, they're on their phones or sitting. I'm talking about the old couple that's sitting on the same side of the table making starry eyes at each other, you know, that kind of thing. She's sitting in his lap, that, that kind of thing, making the grandkids blush. <laughs> but how is that possible? Man, we're going to have to persevere because it's not that it's easy. Obviously, it's not easy. We have to persevere, finish the race, uh, keeping the faith. You know, it makes me think about uh, Rocky. I know I talk about Rocky quite a bit, Rocky the movie, you know. Um, just in case you didn't already know, Rocky 1 is the best, best movie, not Rocky 4, Rocky 1. And the reason Rocky 1 is the best movie is because he loses in the end. And yet you're cheering for him. Because right before the last fight, right before the fight, he goes into Adrian and he says, man, I can't beat him. She says, what are we going to do? And he says, well, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to finish. I'm going to persevere. And when the fight's over, if he doesn't knock me out, if I'm still standing, then I will know for the first time in my life that I'm not a bum, that I persevered. Paul is calling out, man, persevere to the end. One more thing for what it's worth, and I don't think that Charlie has spoken about this in here. He may, you may have heard him say this somewhere else, but um, when, when he was in seminary, he had this one professor who uh, was the expert in that area of theology, and everybody kind of knew it. He had written the books. He was the guy. And so in one of the classes, uh, another guy in the class asked the professor, hey, how do you become the expert in whatever area? That's a good question. I love this guy's answer. He said, well, it's easy. Don't give up. Don't fall out for moral failure. And don't die. Some time will pass by, and all the other guys will either give up, they'll fall out because of moral failure, or they'll die. And if you don't give up, and if you don't fall out because of moral failure, and you don't die, you'll be the only one left standing. And guess what that makes you? The expert. <laughs> is it not true? Is it not true? Even news that's come out this week. I mean, that is so true. So few left standing that finish, that finish strong. Then he goes on to say in verse 8, henceforth, which I don't, this is the English standard version. I don't know that I've ever used henceforth before, but it sounds like a cool word. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which oh, I can't even fathom it. I've, I've studied all the passages about what this looks like, but it's still just amazing to me that there would be some kind of crown. I mean, I'm the one that sinned against the holy God and, and don't deserve anything and that he would not only redeem me, give me life, but then also there would be some kind of crown which the Lord, the righteous judge, would award me on that day. And he says it when I say personally, because he says, not only to me, Paul says, but to also to all who have loved his appearing. On that day, his appearing. Um, 
Here's a question that I just want to throw out at you. Maybe it's the biggest question for the day. Would your highest goals and ambitions be fulfilled or destroyed if his appearing was today? Let me ask it again. Right now, what you're giving your life to, your highest goals, your biggest ambitions, if Jesus' return was today, would it be fulfilled or would they come to their end? Basically, the, another way of wording it is, are, are you building your kingdom that will surely come to its end? Or have you invested in your life, you're investing your energies into being a part of seeing his kingdom grow, which will have no end? Would it be fulfilled or destroyed? And thinking about looking to this appearing, uh, just another example. I remember uh, the summer before Terry and I got married, I, uh, I worked for her granddad building houses, and he had this partner and business partner who was just a big, burly rancher. And uh, I used to spend most of the time with him. His name was Ron. And, uh, and Ron was set out. He knew I was like in training and things, and, and he was pretty sure he could break me. That was his goal. He was going to break me. So he talked a lot of smack, and he would, you know, I was the gopher, but he would also make me do all the grunt work and all the hard things. And one day he took me out to the ranch and he had marked these spots and he had some cross ties out there and a post hole digger. 18 holes, I remember, 18 holes. He said, man, when I come back, all right, I want you to, I want you to dig these holes. And it was the heat of summer, it was bad. And he, he left though and I said, man, Ron's gonna come back. And when Ron comes back, they're gonna be 18 holes dug. So I got after it, man. And I'm telling you, if, if you uh, post hole digging is the worst of all the things. <laughs> post hole digging is the worst. Man, I got after it. I got after it. And I was, I was at, at one point, side note, he had some cattle and an electric fence. And I looked up and I noticed that the cows were on the other side of the electric fence out on the highway. And I, I, luckily, I ran them back in and we almost lost a cow, too, that day. But I, anyway, I, I dug all these post holes, and then I just passed out coal. And I, when I laid down, I was like, man, Ron's going to come back. But you know what Ron's going to come back and find? Mark dug 18 holes. That's what he's going to find. I mean, I, I was confident and excited about getting to see Ron Maiden walk up and go, oh, my goodness, you dug all 18 holes. And sure enough, he pulled up. He was actually mad at me because he thought I was going to kill myself. He said, I was hoping you'd maybe have four or five dug. I didn't know you'd dig all 18. That's right. I sure did. I mean, what does it feel like to live a life such that the thought of Jesus' return gets you excited? (laughs) That he would would be able to, to, to say, well done? To be able to say, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have, I have kept the faith. And then I'm going to jump back up to, to verse 3 because, you know, we've been talking these last few weeks and a lot has come out in this book where, where Paul is saying, uh, hey, man, there's going to be some false teachers and there's going to be some, some arguments and things that you need to, you need to walk carefully. And, and that definitely has a lot to do with what we're, you know, applicable for us right now. And so what he says, uh, verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So let me break it down a little bit. They will not endure sound teaching. They will not tolerate healthy teaching. And 
And as he describes what that is, they have these itching ears. You know, when you got to, you want somebody to scratch your back, you know, there's that, there's that spot, and you don't really want any other spot scratched. You just want that spot. So that spot that itches, you want to scratch. They got itching ears, and they want to accumulate for themselves teachers who will teach directly to that, you know? And so isn't it true? That's, that's what we like to do. We like to gather a bunch of people together who all agree on everything and then have somebody speak to us who also agrees on what we agree on. And instead of it being a balanced diet, uh, with, with truth, there is just balance. We want to uh, only eat carbs or only eat protein. <laughs> An M&M diet sounds really good, you know? But not, not a balanced, healthy diet. Because if we're balanced and healthy, there's going to be something over here, a counter truth that makes us really uncomfortable and brings us back to the middle. And so it's much easier just to give simple, trite answers to life's really tough questions instead of being thoughtful, instead of reading books on both sides of the issue, instead of having friends that are on both sides of the issue, instead of having a church body... (laughs) Which, y'all, just be honest, I mean, there's, we got a lot of things that are wrong with us. But one thing I love about this place and this group of people is that I'm pretty confident that most topics, <laughs> I could find somebody in this room that would speak the truth on both sides of it. And, and I love that. I love it. Um, we were, uh, in our past life, we, we were in a church where uh, every once in a while, this about once a year, this one older guy would come in and speak for several nights in a row. And... Um, you know, he'd speak for an hour and a half, something like that. And um, he would always start out by saying, I don't, I don't give sermonettes. He was talking about, you know, it's an hour and a half as a real sermon, not, a, not 20, 30 minutes. I don't give sermonettes like by majorettes who smoke cigarettes and drive Corvettes. And everybody said, amen. And then for the next hour and a half, what would he do? Well, uh, if you're familiar with Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For an hour and a half, he would talk about the wages of sin is death. And everybody would say, amen. (laughs) Because everybody was like, yeah, yeah, amen, 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 amen. But man, what about this? What about the balance of these truths? Um. And then this passage closes out, verse 18. He says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but the first thing that jumps out to me is he says, he will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Now, we've just been talking about this whole time, this, this whole book. I mean, I mean, his days are numbered. He's got a death sentence. And he's saying that Jesus is going to safely bring him into his heavenly kingdom. It must mean that this word safety is not what we like to think of as safety. Not, not comfort or your location or those, those sorts of things. It must, it must be something, something bigger. I love it if you're familiar with C.S. Lewis and uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. You know, the A- Aslan is the, the lion who is the, kind of the Jesus character figure. And uh, at one point, I just want to read a section of it to you. It says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, 
I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a, a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He's good. Our, our safety is found in the king is good. And, uh, you know, earlier, chapter one, Paul made this statement. I know whom I have believed in, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what's been entrusted to me. Do you hear it? His safety, his confidence, his ability to finish strong is all, all because he believes this king is marvelous, incredible, and good, and can be trusted. Look at it, it says, to him be the glory forever and ever, his heavenly kingdom. What happens, y'all, is uh, we start to build our kingdom. What causes people not to persevere is that they get distracted and forget about his kingdom and start trying to build their own kingdom, which will surely fail. But when we put our eyes on the king, the good king, and we anticipate his appearing, he is faithful to see it all the way through. So let me ask you again, as we, as we sing these songs, think a little bit more deeply and uh, maybe even today, this week, if today was his appearing, are your greatest goals and ambitions fulfilled in that or destroyed by it? Let me pray for us. Father, I, I'm asking that it would be true that we would be so uh, caught up in, so uh, crazy in, in love with you and your purposes and your plan and your good news. Salvation is possible. That has come to us. That has come to us with an intention that it would go from us to others. That you would use us on this planet for something bigger than ourselves. For a fight that is good and worth fighting. Father, I pray that we would evaluate in light of that day, this day, for your glory. Amen.